My name's Marcus, and I'm no expert comic book collector. With help from some not like-minded friends and you, our audience, I want to explore the amazing medium of comic books. This podcast is a reaction to all the common misconceptions I hear about comics as an art form. It's about how superheroes aren't the only type of stories you can find in comics. From true crime and memoir to historical fiction and sci-fi, comics have it all. This podcast is about educating people on what they can find out there and giving readers new, old, or misinformed something great to read. Listen up, nerds and future nerds. This is the VF Comics Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the VF Comics and Graphics Podcast. I am so excited because I'm here today with an upcoming writer and artist, and uh, according to his description on the Kickstarter um, world builder and dungeon master Christopher Michael, who is heading a graphic, uh, a comic book series called Crit. How you doing? Hey, man! Thank you so much for coming to hang out with us. I have uh, been checking out y'all's Kickstarter and Facebook, and I know earlier when we talked, you said that this most recent Kickstarter for issue five was fully funded in what did you say twenty six minutes? Yeah. Yeah, we did uh, 26 minutes exactly to, to, to break the $1,500. Yeah. And yeah, so that, it was stressful going into it because um, when I started this adventure, I had no clue what I was doing. I did some research, and a lot of the stuff I read was that $1,500 was a good, uh, good price point. Mind you, I had never made a comic book before. I just started drawing one day and decided to make a comic book. So I had no idea what I was doing, and I just went by the research that I did. Well, I really, when it boiled down to, was I only needed about 500 bucks to get the book done and um, to pay the colorist because I was doing the interior work. So in retrospect, I should have asked about 500 bucks. I did all the cover work. I did everything myself. I didn't really need the funding. I just needed to pay her for her work. Well, the Kickstarter failed because we didn't reach 1500 I had zero social media. I had no website. I had nothing. I just accidentally launched a Kickstarter, but we wound up with about $500 and um, 35 backers uh, with, with no following whatsoever, which I was like, okay, cool. We can pull 35 backers with, with me begging on Instagram for people to check my stuff out. You know, um, I went back. That one was a blessing. Uh, a friend of mine reached out independently and said, Hey, um, he has a private jet. He's very, very wealthy. He got into uh, marijuana fields early on. That's a good so, <laughs> friend to have for lots of reasons. <laughs> he, um, he sent me $500 on Facebook while we were talking. I was like, how much do you need? And I was like, I just need about 500 bucks. And so he sent me the money I needed. And in turn, I went back onto Kickstarter and I messaged all those people. And I said, hey, uh, somebody else paid for it. I don't need, you know, thank you for uh, your interest in the book. I'm going to send you a free book now. Because with Kickstarter, if you don't, um, if you don't fund, you don't collect. So I didn't collect any of their their money, um, but I gave them a free book. Just about every single one of them came back for issue two, which I launched a few months later after, you know, starting up an Instagram and a Facebook and doing all the the marketing. Um, that one did very well, just around fifty backers on that, and we've just continued to grow since. Um, and with this one, I've never really gone back and asked for 1500 because of that first initial time. Um, 
but this is a really large book. It's 50 pages. I've got, um, a uh, I've got to pay my colorist and I've also got another artist doing 10 pages at the end. I've, so I've got to pay him for his work. And then I've also got uh, the cover artists were just amazing on this book. So there's a, there's a much larger cost with this being it's a full, you know, zero through five. So it's six books in one. Um, it, it was just a costly venture. So when we went to Kickstarter and I looked at that 1500, I kept getting nervous, like, Oh God, what if it fails like the first one and seeing everybody come out within the first uh, 26 minutes to get that funded or just, uh, I couldn't explain the feeling. It was, it was really cool um, because of those nerves that had built up, you know, and um, I was, I did a live launch on our Instagram and I just had people bouncing in and out and they, they were watching it more than I was. And they're like, hey, you just hit this. Hey, you just hit this. And I was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. Um, and today we are $47. I just checked $47 away from the first stretch goal at 2500 bucks. So we're about to get collector cards for all the uh, physical backers, which is going to be awesome. I've got those finished. The artwork is done on them. I just got to, you know, unlock them. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Because, yeah, I'm looking here on this page. You've already got 55 backers. Also, kudos on the good guy move of being i have the funding thank you so much for supporting me here's the here's issue one um because i guarantee yeah that made a lot of i mean if someone did that for me when i backed a project i would i think doing good guy moves like that is good publicity now um because it's not something you had to do and you probably could have kept some of those backers for the future still um but you mm -hmm. did it anyway uh and some of them offered to buy the book and i just said no um, you know, I didn't, I don't do this for money. This is fun. This is, you know, I feel like when you start making something into, uh, a cash venture is when it loses a lot of the, the meaning to you. Mm -hmm. if you, you. You can see behind me. I have all these guitar amps. I have guitars all over my wall. I was, um, in a band for six years. I traveled professionally. We saw, we were signed onto a subsidiary of Sony records oh, wow. and, you know, it started, fun in the basement, fun at the shows, just having fun, you know, when we partied so hard, um, when it became this thing where I had to keep track of album sales and we had budgets and, and it became this job, it really lost a lot of that fun for me. And given with comics, I have to pay taxes because of the money from Kickstarter. And I get that there's, there's the business aspect to it. But at the core of this, it is all about me and my friends having fun. So I just want to keep it like that as as, as fun and loose as possible. So, yeah, that, and that's actually one thing I'm really excited about for your book. As you mentioned, it's you and your friends having fun, and that's an element of it. Because this isn't just a book that you're making on your own. This, is, this book is about an actual game of Dungeons and Dragons that you and your friends are playing. And um, so tell us about it, like elevator pitch for us, uh, this book, what it's about and what makes it so special. So the elevator pitch, I'll give everyone the elevator pitch I gave them when I pitched the idea to them to play the game, which was um, imagine in the modern world, you wake up tomorrow and you go to work for your first day at this new job and an accident happens and the next day you wake up with superpowers what do you do okay because the in the situation that they're in 
their boss somehow knows that they have powers. He's figured it out. And we don't, and if you've read issue zero or one, we don't dive into that, okay? We just know that the boss knows they have powers and has employed them to be his personal superheroes. And what he wants to do with them is market them as superheroes and make money. So their job is to be superheroes. Problem is, they're not superheroes, they're vigilantes. They're running around shooting people, they're, they have a bad image, and he wants them to do the thing. He, he just wants him, at, at this point, it's like, just, just protect my stuff, right? We're, we're bigger than Google, we're bigger than Apple, I have a lot of thieves, just protect my stuff. Well, now they stumble upon a bigger, um, a, bi a bigger thing, and I don't want to give away too much, but they keep finding that while it's cool for powers to exist in this world, that also means that there's going to be really bad people out there that can abuse them. And um, it's really a journey of a group of friends facing different challenges that, that decide, uh, that they decide whether they're going to be heroes or not. Um, and that's a struggle because you've got a team of five guys and not all of them want to do the same thing. So how does this group of ragtag dudes figure out how to work together to solve this problem when they all have different approaches? Um, that's, that's really what at the core it is. It's a superhero book, but it's not like any superhero book that I've read. Um, <laughs> it's, it's all at the roll of the die. Everything you read happens at the table. It has, it's all random, um, you know, and yeah, so, so there's some twists, there's some turns, there's some defeat, there's some wins. There's a lot of sarcasm because that's my friends. Yep. And if you've played D&D, &D, you know it just get really weird and crazy. <laughs> yep. And, you know, something I wrote down on here is that's got to be really difficult for you for writing a book in that you can't plot out five issues ahead because the players' decisions are not between. The players' decisions could be anything, even if they stay true to character. On top of dice rolls, you you might have a basis for what you're writing, but I, I've played enough D and D where I know that you could lay out this like plan that'll take multiple sessions, and your friends figure out how to knock it out in 20 minutes. Um, yep. So what what how, how difficult is it for you to plan when you aren't sure what's going to happen? What what's it like to write a book? that is kind of partially being written by a group of people all making individual decisions? Well, we are three years in, so everything's pre-recorded at this point. Um, we are, yeah, we're, literally, we're, we've been playing the same game for three years now. And I'm blessed with the fact that we're so far ahead in the game that, and it, again, you have enough table knowledge to know the DM probably at some point introduced something that he wanted and he thought was cool. And then you and your crew said, no, nah, that's boring. I want to go do this. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I have enough um, information in the, in the future of what we do to remove some of these obstacles, which would create dead storytelling. So I don't introduce something that I think is cool. And maybe a few readers will think is cool and then never shows back up. Right. I don't create questions like that because when we go to the actual writing stage of the book, 
I get with Brad and I get with the guys and I say, hey, okay, so I made this really cool underground thing full of mutants and weird people and like almost a different world, right? A pocket dimension within the world I wanted to do. I won't even go into how dumb that sounds now, but they they went in, they said, this is stupid, and they walked right back out. Oh, man. <laughs> and the entire session was based around that. And so... Um, I had to learn uh, early on. We, we and I, I did a YouTube video recently where we released the for, for the only time they've ever gotten together all at once for uh, to talk about the book. Um, the thing about the chapter we're releasing right now, book five, is the first time that I, as a DM, said, "Here's a situation. What do you do?" Instead of planning these big elaborate stories, because by this point I realized if I plan for it to happen, they're going to make sure it doesn't. <laughs> and now my approach is I create a situation and I let the world react to them. I let them kind of navigate this and we get such a cooler story because you've got four to five guys with like different ideas going on at the same time. And so it's just twists and turns, and I'm just sitting there reacting to what they do. It's like, oh, if you want to go down that hallway, cool, electrified, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because I can, because I'm the DM, the DM. Oh, I have one guy that wants to split off from the rest of the team. Tiny robots attack no, you when you're in that. Never you know? split off a D&D. Uh, <laughs> That's dangerous. <laughs> exactly. Like, I just create these little things that I can throw at them now. Instead, uh, and I, I, you know, I build the map. This is where you're at. This is what it looks like. And then depending on which way they go is how I kind of react to them. And I, like, it's just been book five and, you know, where, where we were at in that campaign at that time was the first time everybody really owned their characters so well. And I feel like we just came together from that point on, it was a turning point in our playing and which arguably created a turning point in the story. And, um, you know, for D&D players, that's usually how it goes, mm -hmm. especially when you have a new team. Your DM needs to figure out your players, your players need to figure out their characters, and then it takes a few sessions for everything to settle in. And you, as a reader, get to see that even in the book, like zero, one, two, three, four, you're seeing them kind of get settled in, and yeah, they unlock some new powers, or maybe there's something else that's cool, but book five, you really see them all shine come to life in their own ways and do things that they hadn't done before, learn more about their, their powers and things. Um, we still talk about this session and this happened in the end of 2019. I was going to say three years <laughs> ahead. Yeah. That's been a while ago. So that's exciting. Yeah. Th this session that we're putting out, we still talk about because there's a scene in there uh, where Boulder screams, if the cream is sour, do not devour. And <laughs> it has to do with bad tacos. Let's just put it that way. Um, and <laughs> we just, we stopped the game at that point and we had, I had just started working on book one when we were playing this game. I had just maybe drawn the first page and they were like, that's got to go on the comics book. That right there and the cover of, one of the covers of book five is Boulder on the ground, holding his belly all bloated, tacos everywhere, Caliber holding him and he's looking like he's like dying in pain. And that was... The, the, the even behind the name intestinal fortitude right which means don't crack your pants yeah. um yeah. it it just inspired the entire thing and that that's how our D, &D sessions go is usually a bunch of crazy things happen and we're like yep that's gonna make the book yes <laughs> and it's not 
action based. It's all the role playing. So for the for the script, are you using? Um, so you said you you so y'all record the sessions. Is that what you said? Yeah. So are you so you're using? I assume the actual dialogue your players use as a dialogue for the mm-hmm. characters. Yes. Yeah, so when I plot the pages out, I do three to four pages at a time. I'll plot them out and I'll send them to Brad and Terrell because they're like my key idea guys. Um, And they have a, so Terrell's background is actually in education. So he has a lot of English and and he's, he's very well versed in that. And Brad, well, Brad's been a DM since he was like five for one. And for two, he's, um he could just go write a book with some of the stuff that he's created so they're like my counterbalancing with the storytelling but when i when i plot things out they'll help me maybe we should turn them this way or maybe we should um the the action scene should look more like this right because again we're we're going off of audio not visual they'll help me with that and i'll put I'll, i'll lay it out basically with the dialogue from the game you know, I'll be, I'll just write it in there. This is what this person said. And then when all is said and done with the artwork, we're going through and some of that dialogue doesn't make it because it's just absolutely stupid. Um, you know, a group or, of dudes getting together for D and D have, they say stupid things. What? <laughs> well, right. Or, you know, and, and I say this because the comic book arguably influences a lot of their decision-making now to the point where, when we go back through the book and I, I bring it to everybody when we're all done and I say, let's do a read through. They're changing some of their dialogue. Cause they're like, Hey, I could have said that better. Right. Or my character at that, you know, cause again, we know our characters better now three years later than we did when we first started. Hey, Spectre would probably say this, or, you know, Boulder might say this instead. And, we'll refine some of it, but at the core, it still comes from that player and that character. I'm not writing their dialogue. It's that's how we keep their personalities intact. Um, you know, because there was a book too. one of the big, um, things my, my brother reads all these, my little, my little brother loves to rip them apart. Awesome. And he said, you know, Spectre and reach there, they don't really differentiate themselves from the rest of the team. They're just kind of like these back characters. And I said, well, that's because they didn't do anything that game. You know, we had to fill in a lot of their dialogue because they just didn't do anything. They weren't really into their character yet. And I said, I, you know, at that point, I went to the guys and I said, do we want to do we want to let them rewrite it? Well, no, because our, our shtick is, this is what happens at the game. Like, I, we don't want to take away from the reader just because we want to, like, beef something up they didn't play well. They suck, <laughs> you know. Um, now it's on paper. You suck that session. Everyone, um, <laughs> right? But um, I do give them the chance to maybe refine some of that. Well, that's a good idea because I can imagine sometimes you part of D and D is you want to be in character, but sometimes the meta of it all can get in the way where you might say some things that your character wouldn't necessarily say, and you're like oh, I want to approach this differently. So when you're translating this to a book, you want to make sure it translates to the character and not your friend. Um, that's Man, that sounds – it sounds awesome and difficult and 
I don't envy the work you're having to do. Um, there was something else I was thinking of. Uh, what was it? Oh, man, I'm having such a brain fart. Um, oh, yes, that's what it was. So when I was thinking about you guys, and I assumed that you had been recording in order for you to do this, because even the best note taker will miss things. Have y'all already, and, and I've just missed it, or have y'all thought about, after issues are published, releasing those sessions for people to listen to, either through podcast format or YouTube or something? And the smirk on your face says you might have. We talked about it, and... Ultimately, we did decide against it for a few reasons. One, this is the one time a month where we all get together as friends. We're, you know, raged anywhere from early 30s to mid 40s, right? And you take a group of friends, put them in a room with pizza. Sometimes, you know, somebody might have a drink or something. And and this boils down to um, you don't know who's always listening to what you're saying. In that room, in that setting, you know, and I, I will say we all come from different backgrounds, right? We we have uh, a police officer on the team. We have someone who doesn't really care as much for police officers. You know, we have all these different personalities in the room. And while, yes, we can all get along in the same vicinity and throw some jokes back and forth between us, we don't know who's going to be listening. And so... For that reason, we decided not to be, um, because, you know, in the world we live in, there are situations where people just don't like what you say. Mm -hmm. And I don't, we didn't want that to ultimately hurt any part of the story. And let's just say that we make a stupid joke between friends, right? Um, and, and that translates badly to somebody else. But, like, no one understands, like, even Brad and Terrell, you read in the book how close Brad, uh, you know, Reed, um, sorry, uh, Boulder and Caliber are. In real life, Caliber, uh, Brad, has a bad knee now because he was fighting, he was uh, sparring with Terrell one day. Um, Terrell is a Olympic-class wrestler in real life. And uh, Brad it has been trained in seven different forms of martial arts. Like, their backgrounds are actually real when you read the backgrounds in there. Um, and so they were sparring one day and Brad was trying to show Terrell a different takedown. And he said, Hey, whatever you do, don't fight back on this because I'm just trying to show you the move. And Terrell, of course, instinctively fought back and wound up putting Brad in the clinic. And now Brad has a bad knee because he, he busted his knee. So they make some, sometimes, especially when, you know, we have some food and we have some drink in it. Um, there's, there's some words thrown between them, and, you know, <laughs> for good reason. And it's all, it's all playful banter, but I would never want um, our fun just to be taken out of context. Absolutely. And that's, and that's and the context. That's, that's it right there. Like someone who doesn't know you may hear that in a very different way than you and your friends goofing around or the way that you specifically pick at each other. Um, and I think we all have friends um, like that. And as much as, as relatable as that situation is, the world doesn't like to relate to people when they think they hear something um, that they want to jump onto. So, and, yeah. you know, if we had done it in a live setting, I think we would have been fine. Mm -hmm. You know, 
like something like this, we've done live chats and it gives you that moment to remember, hey, people are listening, yes. right? Don't drop the F-bomb every other word, <laughs> <laughs> right? But in, in real life, I mean, I'm, I'm from Connecticut. I'm an Italian and I grew up, you know, with my dad as a truck driver. So in real life, you know, you can ask anybody, if my kid's not in the house, because I don't like to cuss around my kid, um, you know, F-bomb gets around quite a bit. And so, you know, you don't know who's going to be like, God, these guys never stop cussing. We've got <laughs> one guy, you know, there was a point in time where one of my friends was, um, one of the guys on the team had surgery on his arm and he had painkillers in it. And he was just in a lot of pain for quite a while. And even sometimes the painkillers didn't subside it and he would get real snippy. He'd get snippy with me before anybody else because him and I had a huge history together. And, but I'm listening to the recording. And I'm like, dude, you were such a jerk to me. And he's like, yeah, I'm really sorry. You know, but again, people don't understand that, that aspect and can't think, oh, that was when he had the surgery done or, you know, like Brad's a police officer. I don't even want to talk about some of the stuff that he's witnessed in his life, yeah. you know, and he's not just a police officer. He's a, uh, he works in the detective field oh. and with like DEA agents and, you know, he, he works in the, you know, taking down drug cartels, stuff like that. So when he gets in there and say he had a bad day, right? Like you don't want to hear the, the tone in the voice or like, and I think that um, a few people, when they talk about D&D &D and other players might be able to relate, that's like you and your friend's safe space, mm -hmm. right? And you get to go to the table, you get to just forget about the rest of the world and just be in that moment. And um, the comic book is our way of sharing what we are okay with, yeah. <laughs> with the world. Um, a lot of our, so, so to that point though, you, we talked about dialogue and banter. A lot of the banter you read in the book is actually the banter between us. I use it as fill-in material in the book because I'm like, hey, you guys were talking about this. Like, we're talking about Mass Effect, right? So I want to I drop Mass Effect in there so they hear that piece of our conversation. Or um, when they just some of the random things that pop up in conversation are them actually speaking to each other in real life. I just turn it into dialogue that happens in the book because I find it amusing. Well, that sounds great because it, makes it, it makes it come off so naturally. Like it is natural because it's natural. It's what we were actually just goofing around about. So it'll exactly. feel good. Um, and, and I think that's the important part. Um, you know, my wife likes to talk about this book as being like Tag, the movie Tag. Have you ever seen that? I hadn't seen it, but from I had actually listened to you guys um, the, a little bit of that uh, YouTube video that y'all had put up of y'all all talking, and I'd heard that description before, um, and now so I now want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good movie, and when we started playing, she's like, "Oh, it's like your form of tag," and I'm like, "I guess, I guess you're right," because the 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 game, you know, brought us back together after ten years, and some of us hadn't spoken in ten years, and now we speak every day. That's so cool. And I think that's, that's more important than any comic book to me is rekindling a friendship after 10 years. And now, like, like Terrell and I, we had seen each other. Like, there's been a message. His wife would hit me up on Facebook. Oh, happy birthday. You know, him and I used to live together. We met because work just put us in the same apartment. They said, hey, you guys are roommates now. And we didn't know each other. 
the first time I knocked on the door was like I that's when I met his girlfriend and we got very very close over two years and then another thing I mean all of us played D&D every Sunday for two years together and then we just kind of like moved on with our lives and so when this all got back together like you get the band back together um the the really the, the more fun part for us was we always joked around like would our kids be friends and his daughter and my daughter their their age is you know i think there's like five or six year gap in their age but they get along so well and they always ask about each other when can we go see this person or or like my kid will be like oh i want to give this to phoebe next time we see her because they live two hours away and we wouldn't have our relationship back and our kids wouldn't have that friendship if we just hadn't played D&D. That's so cool. I mean, like, and I don't have children yet, but my friends are now, I'm in my mid-30s, and my friends are starting to have their kids too, and I'm just kind of like, oh, we'll hope our kids get along so I can identify with that desire. Um, That's the goal, right? It's like you want your kids to be friends because then you get to hang out more because your kids want to hang out. (laughs) That's so good. Um, And then, you know, excuse me. And I was going to ask, like, how y'all met, but it just sounds like you guys were just all friends at various stages, and, you know, life I'll took over. How we met. <laughs> I, I took over, um, so we're, we're all from North Carolina, how uh, me, Brad, and Terrell and uh, Obi met was I got moved to Boone to move in with Terrell, um, and I took over the GameStop region up there. And uh, I'd been with GameStop for a few years. They just moved me and said, hey, take over this. Uh, this you know, you're, you're going to be in charge up there. And Terrell was a manager at another location. We were his roommates. Brad and Obi worked at the AT&T right next to my store, and they were huge nerds and would come in every day. Brad, and they, apparently the manager before me, was friendly with everybody. And so they just assumed that I would be friendly as well. Mind you, I'm not, I'm friendly, but I'm not the most uh, eager to just to start making new friends, especially at work. Yeah. I, when I'm at work, I'm at work. at work. And they kept coming in and asking me what games I liked and what my interests were, and all these personal things. And I was like, are you going to buy something? Like, what's your deal? <laughs> and I remember distinctively asking Brad one time, like, why do you care? Right. And he's like, oh, well, you know, we all just kind of like get along. And I'm like, oh, okay. And we did. We had a lot of similar interests. Mass Effect, Star Wars, like sci-fi stuff. And um, I, I eased up a little bit after a while. And they were uh, some of my employees and Terrell and a few people said, hey, we should play D&D. Mind you, I had never played D&D, all right? I'm a nerd. I, I am. I am a proud nerd. But I had never played D&D. And I was like, you know, that's too nerdy for me, okay? <laughs> like... I don't want to role play these characters and I don't want to do all this. That just sounds weird. Um, but they, they kept asking. Finally, I was like, you know what? Screw it. Let's order some pizza. We'll do it. I'll play. And we played a couple times and I had fun. And I was like, Oh, this is actually kind of interesting. And so that's what actually create created our core friendship was playing D and D. And, um, it's kind of interesting because Brad went on to be, uh, you know, um, one of the groomsmen in my wedding, and, you know, him and I are, are best friends. I talk to him every day. Um, I just helped him move the other day. And that's the it's interesting. 
yeah, I mean, helping somebody move, right? Yeah. Um, but at the core of it, it's funny. At the core of all of our friendship is D and D, because even Austin, Austin and I worked together. At we started. At, he worked at GameStop at a different location. I met him when I filled in there one day, and I went and I was working at Verizon for a while, and then he came over to Verizon with me. And again, we just decided one day to play D and D because I found out he liked D and D. I'm like, cool, let's play some D and D. And um, Ryan Kidd, who is um, he's Bones in the book, he just I was told, hey, he, he's looking for a game to play. We had a spot on one of the games I was playing, so I invited him to play D and D. So at the core of everyone's friendship is is Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and I think I think what's interesting about that is when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, and like I said, you're you're arguably at your most vulnerable because you're having to role play. If you do, if you're playing D and D, how how you're supposed to, which is you get into the character and you're actually like that character for a little bit, right? It's very vulnerable for many people to have to act this stuff out or not be themselves for a little bit. It's very uncomfortable because it's like, well, what would my character do, right? We can do it when we play video games just fine because we're just the controller. There's a different voice and there's a we're given structure. Mm But when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons and you're just at the mercy of the roll of the die or whatever the DM decides, it's very interesting. And so when you have a few people that maybe aren't part of your group all of a sudden in there and they're like, oh, what are these guys going to think? How I told everybody when, you know, because Kid and Austin didn't know Brad and Terrell when we started this. And I said, just, just remember, one of, the, one of our favorite games was when <laughs> I was like, the, it, this was Mass Effect. Terrell decided that he wanted to go into a room and start shooting. I decided that I was going to go on the other side, and most of it turned into a pissing contest to see who could do the stupidest stuff first. <laughs> and I said, "So, so that's the the guys you're hanging out with right now. So just to, just go in there and expect us to try and always outdo the other one's stupidity. And if you can deal with that, you're fine." And they're like, "Oh, I can deal with that." And that 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 just made the game because I, the and you know we talked about this on the lot. You probably read this. Um, kids' first session with us and the first time meeting half of these guys was being given a situation which in book five they start out having to hit up this big facility. And I say, okay, you're driving towards the facility. There's there's guns. There's guards. There's a fence. What do you do? We we're gonna drive as fast as we can, and we're gonna jump out, start screaming at the guards like hell, like like hell's freezing over. We're gonna distract them by screaming, and then all of a sudden he's gonna be sick, and we're gonna knock him out because they're distracted. And kid is sitting there going, "What? <laughs> there's guns. There's all this stuff, and you just want to drive the van up and act like idiots? Okay." <laughs> <laughs> It kind of, you know, and talking about the pissing contest, it reminded me of uh, the most recent Suicide Squad film when Bloodshot and Peacemaker are going through that camp and just like mm-hmm. flipping each other off and jerking off and then killing these guys so effectively. And when Suicide Squad came out, mind you, most of my guys don't watch superhero movies or they're, they're more into anime, manga, things like that. Um, somebody watched suicide squad was like did they just like watch our game or something and then throw it in there like peacemaker for instance when we were watching that they were like did vigilante just take notes from caliber because like half of his lines and um 
so so and i've said this before you know if james gunn is watching then by all means say i will sit in on any uh any show and we can play some D and we can write, write a couple shows together um but i thought that was awesome seeing some of that stuff come to life because yeah we are like a suicide squad um suicide squad meets you know ninja turtles meets i would say probably you know my hero academia that's about the only manga reference i can i can put out there right now that makes sense yeah well and i you know just to real quick point out too one of the actual one of the references to like things that you guys are like on the kickstarter that really grabbed my attention is i have a weird love for the movie the other guys <laughs> and so when oh, i yeah. saw that on the list i was like boom there it is that's that's the one I'm talking about. And I can't describe why I love that movie, but I just really, really enjoy that movie. If you read book three, um, so, so other guys is like, you know, your, your quintessential buddy cop of our, you know, the current decade, let's just say. Um, Cause other guys just encompasses so much of this buddy cop feel. But when we got to the end of the session in book three, it was my birthday. I had to run. My daughter was somewhere. I had to go pick her up and we were running. We had played for like six or seven hours. And I was like, okay, well, I already had this built in to where if we ran over, something's going to, the big giant robot in the room is going to explode because he's on a timer. And so um, I had the giant robot explode. My, you, you guys have seconds to get out of this building and they're all telling me what they're doing. Well, Brad and uh, Terrell, they look at each other and uh, Brad looks up, he goes, I've got something for this. And he pulls up the scene from the other guys where it says, aim for the bushes. And he puts the music on, and he looks at, he looks at Terrell, and he goes, aim for the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> and so at the end of the book, we have them looking at each other. It's like, I can't fly. I can't teleport. I have no superpowers. What am I supposed to do? And he looks over, and, and, and Terrell's like, well, I guess there's one thing we can do. Yep. Aim for the bushes. <laughs> incredible i remember watching that and like i think i saw it in theaters and just going what is happening how are they gonna land and they just and they don't cut away it's just a clear image of the dummies they clearly threw off just falling for a long time and then just hitting the ground mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh it's so good um <clears throat> oh excuse me um so the last thing i wanted to ask you guys about and again this wasn't something I was sure of, but I thought it would be cool, and I want to pressure you into doing this. So the basis for all this, you, I remember uh, reading, was you weren't going to make a comic. You were just – you guys wanted to play D&D, but you wanted to do superhero stuff. And so the, the main company, I guess, uh, title is Homebrewed Heroes because you mm -hmm. homebrewed your own kind of rule set to fit – in the world you wanted to create. One of my favorite books this last year that I had read was, I really enjoyed this book called The Last God. And about midway through the series, they released a companion book so you could play 5th edition D&D in that world. And I know you guys have the character sheets on your website. How, are y'all interested in releasing your your homebrewed, homebrewed war? Um, world and rules um at any point yes so actually one of the tiers on the current kickstarter has levels one through five for the characters um initially we were going to do the companion book we were going to do our superhero rendition of 
5e. Um, because one of the reasons this game even exists is because for years we, we tossed around this idea of superheroes in D&D, but ultimately it was shot down because superheroes are so powerful, right? Mm-hmm. They are just overpowerful. Um, and that when, when I started this idea, uh, I realized there was a way to make, to, to limit the powers and, and, um, create like more silver age heroes instead of modern age heroes. And, um, we were just going to roll with it. We're going to release a, you know, go to, you know, drive through RPG. We're going to release some, some of the, the modules. Um, but then I did the comic book and that kind of took off. So what we're doing now is releasing you know beta versions as we go and we've already we've refined levels one through five and balanced them i mean there's over 600 hours just in balancing alone in some of these classes and so we were like cool for those players and people that are interested in dnd now you can try out boulder you can try out these characters and see what it's like to play our game um and Every few Kickstarters, I'll do the same thing. Probably every chapter, I'll release, you know, 5 and 10, 10, 15, things like that. When it's all said and done, um, at the very end, we will release an actual game with everything, a few extra classes that we didn't use, um, because we have to play test and balance those as well. But um, we want to release the actual world of Crit for people to play within our world because at the very end, when Crit is done, um, you know, this is, like I said, about 40 issues in, is when Crit is done, the world is forever changed. And so what we have then is this modern D&D world that exists, because there's a, we've, we've already hit this point in the game where a, an event happens to where all of a sudden, more of these beings existed. And this was my end game from the very beginning, was to merge your D&D world with, that has like, goblins and orcs and these things with our world and this thing happens to where now all of a sudden all these weird things exist and we can have a D game and a, and a dm could say hey i want to pull this D monster out of the monster manual and use it in this game and it fits um and that's when we want to do that and we also want to open it up to allow people to submit some of their story ideas to us or like hey would this happen in your world? Could we make this happen in your world and maybe pitch some stuff and let the players and, and people that were invested in this world also direct maybe their own story within our world? Oh, man, that would be cool. I know that's probably a ways away, but I am excited for that. Um, you, putting super, a superhero RPG, you've already you, you sold me <laughs> on it. it um, so that will be awesome. Uh, let's see here. Oh, and... Um, also, I wanted you to real quickly, we talked about, uh, before we uh, started officially, um, some backup features and other ideas that you had. You're not wanting to expand too much, and I know sp- uh, split your fan base up and your reader base up, but um, you have some things that you're working on as backup features. Uh, can you tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about those? Okay, so one is uh, again is a stretch goal i haven't set the limit because we didn't expect it fun so fast <laughs> but uh, as a stretch goal on this on this campaign is the first four pages of mr wizard and friends which is another D campaign that we had played that ended in a um a, a wwe brawl in uh, australia which was the gateway to hell and they had to uh and 
Randy Savage had to come in and save the day because he had been living in hell, unfortunately, and no, came out of, out of hell and saved him. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I can just tell you that's pretty much how it ends. Um, and this story of Mr. Wizard and Friends actually exists as like pop culture within Crit's universe. So you'll see it on the TVs, you'll see posters, you'll see a hat or a t-shirt or something like that within Crit. And now you'll actually be able to follow some of the story every uh, every Kickstarter um, as we unlock them. And you'll get four pages at a time. The, the work's being done by Robert Nix. Um, but so we have that kind of companion book. And then later on, we do have one of the villains gets his own side story, um, mainly because in game he can't, he, you know, he goes away, he comes back and, um, they were like, well, we need to figure out what happened, you know, because the comic exists, right? We know the comic exists. And when he comes back, we discussed, like, it's really hard for him, like, because he, he doesn't interact with Crick for this time period. We think he's gone, but now he's back. And um, he's also, like, my favorite villain. So I was like, well, why don't we just write this kind of, because I've already told you guys what he's been doing in the background. We can just have, like, a side book for the, the readers, and we'll do probably a similar thing where it's released as a, an extension of a Kickstarter. Um, but it doesn't have to be very long, but enough to give you backstory on this villain, which I don't think villains get enough um, backstory anyway, as you see with, with the Joker movie, right? Yeah. So we want to give him some time to shine in his own book. And then we are actually... So tomorrow we're, we're playing a session, which ends... It's a cutoff for Crit for a about about six to seven games we are moving from crit into a side team which is more like if you've watched bad batch it's kind of like a bad batch-esque oh. thing and they're out doing missions because an event happens to where crit is on the run and crit's like collapsed on itself and all these bad things have happened to the team and they're split up and so while Kit, Crit's world is kind of in chaos, we're doing a side uh, story called The Vanguard, where it's a bunch of... Um, so Vanguard in our world at this point is, a, is humans with high-tech weaponry and things to combat, um, things like Crit. And they're taking care of the stuff that Crit... Like the smaller things that Crit can't do. Because Crit's taking care of the big stuff. So they're like out taking care of like a circus full of monsters and things that's terrorizing a town or um like kind of like D D core you know stuff that you'd see and um that will be a you know it will be a story in crit's universe we're going to take a break so the reader is going to be able to follow them for a little while and then that story dead ends right back into where crit is and comes right back into the story so You'll see that that's going to be, you know, because I can only write so many books in a year, yeah. you know, draw so many books in a year. Much later, you the readers will be able to follow along with this story. And I don't know how I'm going to title it because I don't want to make people feel like it's a different book altogether. But if you if you go from, say, Crit 36 to Crit 37, it's kind of like uh, if you read Spawn. Spawn there for a while was missing, like, some books. And um, 
when you when you came back in, you kept you felt kind of like jarred, like what happened? Where did he go? Well, he was in Batman for a little while, but I won't go into that. <laughs> um, the Vanguard story is going to be a lot of fun. Um, it's I'm actually bringing in a couple new players into that as well, so we have some different personalities. Okay. And um, I've written the very end of Vanguard and how that goes, and I had to let one of our players know, hey, this happens to you, and 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 you're gonna have to come in and, and do this, and you're not gonna like it. And he was like, all right, I guess. Um, <laughs> but but you have to because of events. Like I can't, I don't want to give away too much. Yeah. But let's just say we have shapeshifters and things that make people think that some other stuff's going on. And there's a key character in our story that absolutely hates shapeshifters. Um, so, and, and we've we've all agreed the most villainous superpower to ever exist. Uh, there's two: complete invisibility and shapeshifting. Uh, because those are the two morally, uh, like they, they they can ruin your morals. Because now all of a sudden you don't have any consequence for any action because you can do whatever you want. And so when I introduce those into the world, there is a player that is like, nope, kill it now, kill the fire. I don't want it here. <laughs> Absolutely hated it. And finally he gets his choice at the end of Vanguard. Oh, so um, yeah, that that story is going to be cool mainly because it's. Um, it's how we, in, during these events in Vanguard, is when you see the world take this weird shift from a world that you and I know now to this world where this apocalypse event is happening and there's no one there to save them uh, because Crit is in shambles. So well, I'm looking forward to that. It may be fun. I get to kill my friends. So. Well, and that sounds like such a cool idea because it's very, <clears throat> how do I say, like, excuse me for a second. Oh, my gosh. You good? It's very. It sounds very like natural consequences of the players' actions and the world that you built, because you know that's one thing I feel like I've seen in you know the X Men books recently. It's just like, oh, you want to declare mutant sovereignty and do this and this. Well, n people aren't going to just sit around and let that be this new status quo. Like these are the consequences, the real world consequences of I think what would happen. Um, in a situation like that and then you're and then the other stuff the other thing that reminds me of I, I don't know if you read any of uh, Jeff Lemire's Black Hammer Universe work um, but um, so he started this book Black Hammer and after five or six issues he had this like it was like one or two issue um, you know one shot situation about to explain what had been going on with a character and it focused on um a character named and i almost said casanova frankenstein but that's the mystery man uh bad guy uh the ben stiller movie um his name is sherlock frankenstein and he was one of the villains in the hero's world um and then he started doing that every so often he would have like a oh here's a further exploration of that but it wasn't a part of the main storyline it was just here's what's going on and it usually focused on villains too and it was these really great nuanced concepts and stories that weren't like you know i want to take over the world ha 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 simple kind of characters um and so what you're talking about kind of gives me those vibes and that's good like that that was a it's such a great and honestly novel idea you don't see a lot of that um like you said, with villains. Well, this this one villain in particular, um, you know, I'm not I'm not big on redemption arcs at all because I do believe that they're overdone.
I wanted our villains to have the the throwaway villain, right? Because those those are very common, right? You can have a, a villain who his power set might be cool, he might be fun, but he's a throwaway villain because his back, just because he has cool powers doesn't mean he has to be an important person. Um, and that's that's the D and D aspect coming in. Just because something's cool doesn't mean it has to live, right? Like our job in D and D is to murder everything that comes at us. At, you know, as players, like you're in a battle, it's gonna die. Um, but I wanted there was a couple of villains I want to keep around for a little bit, and I I explained how they're able to come back mainly by beating the crap out of crit first. But um, the some of the villains do die, and that's that's important. The death of these villains, like I don't want to have a Joker or a Magneto or somebody that continually comes back. Um, I wanted also a villain that could not be redeemed, an unredeemable villain. And I wanted a few of those. Maybe you could relate to them, but just because you can relate to them doesn't mean they need to be redeemed. Okay, it is, and I'm not saying it's okay to be evil, right? But it's okay to have evil characters because, I mean, I don't know what you've experienced in your life, but there are people that are just irredeemable. I'm sorry, okay? Yes, we have a justice system, but there is life in prison for a reason, okay? So you have these villains who are irredeemable, but redeemable villains are out there. And people that are maybe put in bad situations or for a good reason or something terrible happened to this person. They were a good person. Something terrible happened to maybe make them stray. And maybe they are able to see the error of their ways. But there are also those people that are just born evil and they need to go. Um, and so I, I wanted to have a, a, a very broad mix of those kind of villains in the book. And... Um, I also became very attached to one of the villains uh, <laughs> early on, mainly because he was a foil for another character, and I put so much work into building him that I was like, no, this guy's going to stay, and he's going to stay a long time, and you're going to hate me, and we're going to argue every session that he's in, and it's going to be great. And it worked out perfectly. I will tell you this. Every, every session this villain is in, the dialogue between him and another character is priceless. Because it's literally me and him arguing, and we do it in real life all the time. And <laughs> kind of the guys are like, so are you guys, are, are mom and dad fighting right now? Oh, no, this is just how we talk. You guys are friends, Indian right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so funny. That's um, that's really cool. Um, and then we're, I realized that we've been talking for like, we've been recording for over an hour, and I don't want to run out of time here. Um, I do try to keep the episodes timed, but I feel like we could go on for forever. Um, there are two things that were really important to me that I wanted to ask you about. Um, one of them is, um, and I, this is something that you and I, I think, both as Batman fans, could talk about forever. We've both seen the Batman. Um, so tell everybody, how do I do this without us just going on forever? Let's see if we can come up with a quick, short way to talk about our feelings without spoiling it. Uh, so so I, I can say this without really spoiling anything. Um, I was not fond of the casting of Pattinson. I was not fond of some of the casting choices. But I've always been optimistic because we've time and time again, we've been proven wrong every time we've complained about a Batman casting. From Keaton mm -hmm. all the way on, right? Yep. And so 
I said to myself, let's see what he can do. And I didn't walk away feeling, you know, like I did when I left Spider-Man, for instance, because I'm sorry, but I don't think they're going to top No Way Home for quite a while. Nope. But I didn't walk out hating it. Um, that so so I think and my 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 the Batman scenes are impeccable. The fight scenes are just really good. Um, the storyline solid, but I didn't I didn't leave hating Pattinson any more than I did before. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, that is good. Yeah. <laughs> um, kind of the same. Like I. I, there was a couple times where I had mixed feelings about him, and we talked a little bit about, and some of it has to do with his Bruce, his Bruce Wayne character, but not him as the Batman. Um, I think that this could be a really good starting off point based off of what occurs in the movie for us to really get, um, you know, it like to compare to the Nolan trilogy. If this was a Batman Begins. I feel like we have the setup to have a dark night situation of just like this improved version of the first movie. Yeah. Um, it's I got dark night vibes. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I also said, this is the closest we've been to the darkness from 89 since then. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause even, even Batman begins dark night rises all them. They, they were dark. But they weren't dark on the level of Keaton's Batman, and I think this is the closest we've gotten back to that. Oh, absolutely. And honestly, one thing I feel like this isn't a spoiler, but a friend and I agreed on was this might be my favorite live-action Gotham City. Like, Uh, yeah, yeah, like it's it's not. You know, there's one thing I did like about I liked Gotham City and Batman Begins. I feel like it was a very unique city, and Nolan lost that in the next two movies. It's clearly just Chicago, um, and so I was kind of into this movie because, in a weird way, like this movie mixed some of the, you know, down to earth grittiness, but also was also with some very comic booky pieces too to where it wasn't as ground. And I don't know. It's a, it's a weird mixture of things. Um, I do, I do think I would do want to go see it again. And so where I can like take in the scenes now that I know what's going to happen. Um, I'm mm-hmm. real bit, I'm real bad about, sometimes I can't enjoy the journey. I got to get to the destination. Now that I've been to the destination, I'm going to see if I can go back and enjoy that journey. But like you said, I, as far as Spider-Man goes, I can't wait to watch no way home again. Oh yeah, I want to watch it again so bad. It's such a good movie. <laughs> yeah. I want to say this about Batman. I think it's definitely for fans of the Arkham games. Yes. Um, oh yes. You know, uh, my my thoughts on Bruce Wayne aside, it's definitely for Arkham fans. Um, I'm still waiting for for my favorite Bruce Wayne. You know, I and and, and I could. Die on, die on this one, I guess. I'll fall on this one. <laughs> My favorite Batman to this day is still, is still. Um, uh, uh, sorry, I just totally spaced on him. Um, uh, Noel, Christopher Nolan's Batman. Thank you. Oh, uh, yeah. I actually big fan of Christian Bale. Um, you know, we can say what he want, what we want about the voice, but very few of us are British actors trying to put on a, an American voice and then having to disguise said American voice. So. I enjoyed those films, um, mainly Batman Begins, 
I have a lot of respect for an actor who put on 200 pounds. If you knew that prior to being in Batman, he was the machinist and he was down to, I think like 80 pounds. Oh, he was tiny. And they, when he was, when he auditioned, Nolan said, I don't know if you could do this role because Batman's a muscular dude. And he was like, I'll be good. And this man's eating two to four whole chickens a day. And what was cool is in one of the scenes, you see him roll out of bed, start doing push-ups and sit-ups. And in an interview, he said, that was my daily routine. I would wake up and just start working out every day and eat and eat and eat and work out all day long. And so when you own a role like that, you know, voice aside, there's a few story things aside that are no one's fault, not his. I think he did a, a phenomenal job. And I think he really did change how even um, Affleck did came in to do his Batman with the neck that can move finally mm-hmm. right. And like they got some of the, the stuff right for once because prior to that we were stuck with cartoony Batman, you know, bat nipples, right? Yep. Oh, um, I think, I, so I have a lot of respect for that one. I don't think that Affleck got a fair shot. No. He was way too late in the game. Um, like we said prior to this, the casting 10 years ago would have been on point, right? Sadly, we just won't see Ben Affleck be the best Batman he can be because of just the, the age there. It's um, it's funny. He was the only Bruce Wayne Batman where the casting, I was like, okay, yeah. Like every other time I've been like, like it. Uh. <laughs> yep. When they cast Affleck, that was the first, because uh, even when they crashed cat, uh, cast Christian Bale, I was a huge Christian Bale fan. I was like, how's this dude yeah. going to look like Batman? Because that was my thing about, and, and we won't go into my, my distaste in Pattinson too much for this one, but I was like, how is Pattinson going to put on the size needed to be Batman? Because, you know, comic, uh, movie, t- like, he is a big dude. He is over six foot tall, muscular guy. And there's a scene in in the movie when um, Pattinson's there. I leaned, I leaned over to my wife and I was like, I was like, did he just decide not to work out, like, at all for this film? Mind you, you know, I, I won't, I'm not body shaming the man. That's not the thing. But, no. you know, like, when you go from actors like Ben Affleck and Christian Bale, who Bale put on 200 pounds and was, like, solid for that role, and Ben Affleck is sitting there, like, Oh, he was going from the No, he was huge. And he looked like, he just looked like Batman. Yeah. And then I see Pattinson, and I'm like, my 11-year-old daughter could beat him up. Yeah. There, there was a scene where he goes shirtless. In the bat suit, I never noticed it. I was like, okay, like, I think in the suit, like, I think he looks fine. I always forget how tall Robert Pattinson is, too. But there was a sh- there is a scene where he is shirtless that I was like, you know, I had heard he was messing around and that he did bulk up. But then after seeing that scene, I'm like, I still don't think he bulked up enough. Um, I, I actually heard the opposite. I heard he said he wouldn't. That he he was that was one of the big things that him and because he almost uh, didn't sign on for any more or something like that because him and Reeves weren't agreeing on something and it was the the mass he couldn't. They were having problems very early on with him putting on body mass. He just and and I don't know because there are actors like um, uh, the girl who plays Wonder Woman, for instance, right? She actually that's that's her size. She, her bulking up, and, and there are people that are limited in the muscle mass they can put on. If that's the problem, but he still wasn't even ripped, yeah. right? And so it looks, and from 
what I read and what I saw, it just looked like he didn't want to do that, and that's fine. But his his stunt double saved the day, yeah. so we're good. <laughs> well, and you know, honestly, I probably wouldn't have noticed it as much if they had left the shirtless scene out. So if in the next movies they keep him from being shirtless, you know, we'll we'll be able to not not even notice, and we can just bypass that concern altogether. Um, oh yeah, because because then our imaginations can just fill in the abs for us, and we're good. It's like, oh, it's Ben Affleck's body on Robert Pattinson's head. Great, um, and uh, yeah, I, I have a couple more comments that I want to make, but it's gonna go it's gonna go on and on and all that. Um, there was a great comparison I think uh, we made uh, earlier too, where we were talking about his haircut and. Um, it giving us real big Spider-Man three emo vibes. I know they were trying to like emulate Kurt Cobain and stuff like that. And that was the intention, but I literally just almost saw Robert Pattinson walking down the street, finger gunning people. <laughs> Seriously. I, I leaned over. That was another one. I leaned over my wife and I was like, I thought we learned in Spider-Man three that the emo thing just didn't work for these heroes. <laughs> Like, but Batman's supposed to be but, emotional, especially when it got when his hair got wet. You know, um, I was like, maybe they're gonna give him a haircut mid movie, and and it's gonna be the opposite of Spider Man three, where we see like you know, the emo in the beginning, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, not hating on it, no. and I'm not. I, I, like I said, I'm probably gonna see it again. I'm a huge Batman fan, oh, yeah. so um, you know, I I I like. Actually, it's funny. Even on my my floor over here, here's a picture of Batman that somebody did and sent to me. Um, most of my room is full of paintings and artwork of Batman that people have done from all over the world. Um, but it, it's a good Batman film, just not the best Bruce Wayne. Yeah. That, that's pretty much where I'll leave it. That's a, I mean, I think that's a really great way to put it. Like, if I have to pick something, like, I think there's a potential for it, him in the future, um, and it was great. I enjoyed the hell out of it. And um, the last thing I wanted to ask, because... One of the things that's important to me for my podcast is you were talking about not doing your book for money. You just love this. And I started this podcast because I just like reading comic books. And I think everyone should read what they want to read and love it. And so I always like to ask guests about what they're reading, uh, comic book, graphic novel-wise, and what you know they would suggest for any of our listeners to check out because they love it. So... Chris, tell us, you know, tell us what, what what are you reading and what do you love to read? So aside from making my own books, I also work with, I think we're up to nine other creators right now in a group called The Savage Sandbox. And I'm lettering most of those books. So um, for those of you that don't know and haven't seen my, my thing, I work two full-time jobs. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I work on the comic book, I'm a DM in the game, and I letter every book that comes my way so my reading is mainly most of the books that I'm introduced to um, from them. Um, my personal reading has taken a, a, a dip. I'm a huge Spawn fan, and I, I do like the Mass Effect stories they've done. Um, Dark Horse put out Mass Effect series, which I'm still catching up on. But as far as reading goes, uh, the Elements from E4 Comics, The Convictor from uh, Pharaoh's Creative Studios, and uh, Demon Hunter Raven, from uh, BMR. Now, probably one of the better books right there. Uh, Demon Hunter Raven is, is amazing. Um, and we, uh, you know, if you haven't checked it out yet, um, 
the last book I read cover to cover multiple times, those are very recent. Uh, I didn't letter this book, so uh, this is the one I'll plug, <laughs> is uh, Bigfoot Knows Karate by Dan Price. Yes, I talked to somebody about that recently, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know Dan pretty well. He's been uh, very supportive in our campaign, and he let me um, he, he, he let me read the book a little bit early, and I fell in love with it. Uh, very good storytelling. Uh, you know, I can't wait for the next issue. So, I uh, I'm a, I'm an indie fan through and through. If I'm going to be in the community, I want to support the community, and um, you know, so so mostly indie books. If you go to Kickstarter, definitely look at some of those. I I look at when I'm at Kickstarter, I look and see who's also backed other books. Like I think I'm like 110 or something like that. That books I've backed on Kickstarter. I like supporting other creators, and so I look and see what they've also supported. And if they're a big supporter, I'll check out their book. Right. Um, I like to to give back where to back to this community. And uh, so those books I listed, like the Convictor, the Elements two awesome books the convictor is like um it's like uh well the first book hunter's moon is like a, a supernatural kind of punisher-esque a supernatural book with wolf uh, uh werewolves and vampires and like a, a vigilante murder machine which is awesome That's cool. and then you have the, the elements which is kind of like four brothers given superpowers that reminds me of uh any of your like Dragon Ball Z stuff like that mixed with um, the Netflix version of uh, uh, Voltron. Okay. So, yeah, um, really, really interesting storytelling there too, and that's what I look for is you know like cool storytelling within our community. I think you get more passion out of indie books than you do the big ones. But I'll never pass up a good Mass Effect book. So if there's a Mass Effect comic out there, you got to let me know because I love Mass Effect. <laughs> and that's the thing is I think we all have our, like, popular things published by, like, the big two that we definitely love. But, I, you know, in the last few years, like, I started with DC Comics. And in the last few years, I've picked up a lot more independent stuff. And I'm just like, I mean, it's it's incredible stuff. And it's just written in a way where... I think maybe because you just instead of having to like put out so many books and keep the deadlines with like larger companies, indie creators are able to craft at their pace the best possible story that they can. Yeah. And you know, I'm a huge Batman fan, right? Just because I don't read modern Batman books doesn't mean that I'm a huge Batman fan. Um, you know, I loved the earlier Batman stories. And I feel like the thing that we get with indie that we don't get with the big ones is a consolidated story, right? So in my head canon, like X-Men from 92, the Chris Claremont series, when that ended, when Chris Claremont went off, even though they continued the story, it ended for me, yep. right? It ended for me. So X-Men was dead. What we're seeing now isn't the X-Men. And like I'll use um, Masters of the Universe as a prime example, right? Like I grew up on He-Man and like, my mother, uh, every year, used to get the DVD box sets when they put those out. And so I love that that earlier He-Man. Just because I don't really enjoy the newer He-Man doesn't mean I'm not a He-Man fan. It just means, hey, I'm a fan of this version. Same with Batman, same with X-Men. And I think we like they make these books for different generations. So the new generation, of, like, like when they started doing New 52, and then all these different 
<laughs> restarts. I was like, all right, I'm just going to find one that I like. I'm going to stick with it. Absolutely. Well, and that's such a great mentality because something we've talked about on the podcast is how sometimes in nerd culture you can run into these gatekeeping practices uh, where, you know, like if I hadn't liked the Batman movie, but somebody else did great. We can, we both like Batman, but that, you know, is more of a movie for them than it is for me. And I think that's to me, like the best, most mature way to approach it, especially in these characters that are constantly retooled, like Batman and Superman and these comic characters haven't been around for almost a century now because they are the exact same characters as at their inception. Um, right. So, man. Um, yeah, and, and you know, find find a version that you enjoy. Uh, you know, the the Dark Knight is one of the best series out there. Um, excuse me for for Batman. Um, you know, Miller just murdered it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no yeah. pun intended. Um, so you can find like. And that, that's the joy of, of these fictional worlds. I think we can all find something we can enjoy in them. So hopefully hopefully you can do that within the indie community, though, because these are, you know, the, the starving artists out there that are trying to get their books out and get people to uh, see some passionate stories, things that you're not really, um, you're not reading when you pick up something from Marvel or DC because those are writers and artists that are just paid to put out a story. And then you've got 50 people telling them, you know, check boxes that need to be made. Like this character has to show up or, you know, you can't have this character or you can't do this and you can't do that. It's got to fit in with our shared universe. So like, this is going to happen. Exactly. We've got a TV show coming out. We need this character to have a book. It's like, no, with indie, you get what you get and you get, um, what I found is you get characters that have existed for sometimes 30 years as, as a brainchild in someone's head. And now all of a sudden you're getting to read that book. And can you imagine in 30 years what this person's created in their head for a character, right? That's insane. So I, I think if we, and you see the shift on Kickstarter, you see the shift on like the crowdfunding platforms to more of an independent. And I think that that's where we're going to get our, our quality storytelling now. And it's, thank goodness that stuff is there because, you know, without these crowdfunding ventures, you know, a lot of the independent artists and writers couldn't, get their name and their work out there and so this has allowed a lot of creators to really come up without having to have the right person notice them or without Mm -hmm. having to honestly kiss ass to get into the corporate structure and kickstarter is like i look at it like a pre-order on a book right it's a pre-order thing and we at least the the creator is able to gauge the audience interest and so you know when your book doesn't do well or does it fund maybe you just haven't found the audience to look at it yet is is my my thought process on it or maybe you need to do some refining and come back with it but you know we treat it like pre-ordering okay you're helping get the the artist paid which is important because a lot of these guys um a lot of my team is from other countries where you know they're my colorist is a full-time colorist that's what he does um same with a couple of my cover artists and so you're putting food on their table and without that we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to do that man damn right like i that's i support the heck out of that um let's see here i think that so i feel like i could talk to you for several more hours about all sorts of stuff and i'd love to have an in-depth conversation about the batman um 
but we are going to finish up for today. Thank you so much for taking the time on it. And we're recording this on Saturday, so you took time out of your Saturday to come visit with us. Um, if you're listening and you're interested in uh, Homebrew Heroes and their comics and their other works, you're going to find all the links in the episode description for their Facebook, the Kickstarter that's out right now for issue five. But don't worry, if you've missed issues zero through four, you can order that through the Kickstarter too. Um, that's what I personally did. And I hope to see more of your guys' work. We've already shared... Um, We've shared the Kickstarter on our Facebook page already, um, but uh, Chris, just to let you know, anytime you guys have something you want to share, please feel free to add us and share it on our page. Not a problem at all. Excited to see where this goes, and knowing that you guys have a long-term plan, excited to see what happens over time with all your projects. Um, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, let them be in touch. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, and thank you everybody for listening to the VF Comics and Graphics Podcast. I had a lot of fun with Chris today, and we will see you guys next week.